Look then, at these athletes. I yeah. mean, they live such a healthy lifestyle and yep. exercise and everything else. Yep. And again, cancer has no prejudice. So, I mean, and, and this is just a few. We got Mario Lemieux. We got James Conner, mm -hmm. Brian Boyle, Eddie Olchek. I mean, these are just a few. I mean, Lance Armstrong, amongst other hundreds, amongst of, hundreds. Uh, thousands of athletes. Welcome back everyone, 2019, Happy New Year. Uh, this is another session and today I have with me Dr. Elwin Kabibi. He is a superstar here in the Bay Area in uh, knowing blood clots and blood cancer, everything blood, is that correct? And cancer, yes. And cancer, yeah. of course. I don't know if I know everything, but yeah. I well, you know it. a lot more than me <laughs> and a lot more than my audience and this is why I wanted to have you on with us. We have some superstars in many sports that are battling cancer, that have had cancer, and that are just continuing to deal with one of the toughest diseases known to man. And that's why we have experts like Dr. Khabibi here, because this is not something I understand very well, but it affects the athletes that I enjoy watching, that we all enjoy watching, you know, and it's tough. I mean, we've seen people like Mario Lemieux, superstar, get diagnosed with Hodgkin's disease, which we'll get into, and then come back, like, as, as a super athlete. And so, let's start. Dr. Khabib, tell me about Mario Lemieux, first of all. Yeah. You know, this is a guy that got diagnosed with Hodgkin's disease, which in 1990, in the 90s, 92, I believe, December 92, when he got diagnosed, no one really knew, what is Hodgkin's disease? I was in med school at the time, I was learning about it. So tell me what, 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 what it is and how he came back with this cancer. Yeah, it's a tremendous story, Mario Lemieux's story in terms of his resilience. I think the first thing that to really emphasize is that, you know, cancer has no prejudice. I mean, you could be young, rich, poor, an athlete, or, uh, you know, or just a normal person throughout the day and you get cancer. And a lot of times, unfortunately, we really don't know why these things happen. Um, and, you know, there are various types of cancers. His type of cancer was a cancer called a lymphoma. And lymphoma are cancers of lymph glands. There are lymph glands throughout the entire body, from the top of your head and down to your toes. And these organs really help to uh, kind of fight the um, infections that you develop in your body. So if you get a chest cold or you get an upper respiratory infection, you'll notice some lymph nodes that are somewhat enlarged in your neck. That's your immune system and the immune cells that are in those lymph nodes trying to fight the disease. And then they come back down to normal. But so, lymph nodes, okay, so just, just to clarify, so when people feel the lumps in your neck, when you get a cold, you feel the lumps in your neck on the sides, right? That's what we're talking about, Correct. but they're also under the armpit, yep. like for breast cancer, oftentimes it's the axillary nodes that are affected. Absolutely. And then you've got lymph nodes all along the chest, into the gut, the mesenteric lymph nodes, like colon cancer, for example, we have Eddie Olchek you know, uh, recently uh, struggled with uh, colon cancer. And so the venous system connects to a lymph system that drains back into the uh, vena cava, which then transports to the heart, which gets filtered through the body, right? That's a very simplistic way of describing it, but it's kind of like our body's immune filtration system. Is yeah. that right? I guess you could say it's like, uh, it's like highway of different immune cells sort of circulating like little police to go around trying to find different ways to uh, combat infections and get you better. 
And unfortunately, as every cell in the body has a certain sort of division process, they grow and divide and they die. So these cells are also susceptible to uh, kind of uncontrolled division. And this uncontrolled division is really what uh, develops into these cancers, is that somehow the mechanisms have gone awry, and then these cells continue to divide uncontrollably. And as they divide uncontrollably, then they cause harm. And so in Mario Lemieux's situation, you know, he had multiple lymph nodes that were involved with this cancer and were overriding his system that were causing him to have symptoms and needed therapy for that. Mm -hmm. so, so before we get into uh, therapy, I mean, you know, Mario Lemieux is just an incredible superstar. I mean, you know, like just seeing him uh, come back from what he came back in. I mean, it is um, an incredible story, but so you get these lymph cells and they travel everywhere. And I, I understand, again, trying to keep it uh, simple, even for me, is that either they get overexcited, overpopulated, or there's like a signal that's lost to prevent them or control them from growing. Yeah. But what is it about the cell itself? Is it deranged? Is it deformed? Is it just a normal cell that's hyperpopulated? Yeah. Um, it's genetic signaling. Is it environmental? I mean, I understand it's multifactorial. I mean, we don't know what causes it. Is that right? That's correct. I get that question every day as an oncologist is uh, how did I develop the disease and why and what could I have done to prevent it? And unfortunately, many times we really don't know what that smoking gun is that uh, encouraged this process to develop. Mm -hmm. You know, we know that there are certain genetic susceptibilities and then there are certain environmental exposures. And sometimes it's kind of a combination of those two things that align that cause the alteration that makes these cancers continue to divide uncontrollably. So, mm -hmm. you know, um, it's a hard thing. I mean, there are different uh, postulations in terms of what, uh, how cancer develops, whether it's an infection or chronic inflammation, certain sort of genetic uh, drivers as well. But unfortunately, we really don't know. And many times mm -hmm. we don't. So, I mean, small cell lung cancer, for example, like lung cancer, tobacco, like you smoke in, you get carcinogens, and then you get lung cancer. I mean, that's one almost direct causal factor. Is there something like that? So there's nothing like that in leukemia or lymphoma that we're aware of? Unfortunately, there are a lot of kind of suggestions of certain mm -hmm. lifestyle or environmental exposures uh, or even genetic risk factors for mm -hmm. these type of cancers. But it's not once again answer. I okay. Think. Unfortunately, you can't say, okay, you should alleviate dairy from your diet and you will never get cancer. That's just not possible. Unfortunately, there's so many different mechanisms that cancer sort of, uh, that, that makes cancer develop, you know. You can have a bad infection and that can develop into cancer. You could be exposed to smoke all your life because your parents are smokers and, um, and that can develop into cancer as or, well. Or foods or nitrates. I mean, I know there's a, so many different ways. We, we, we always talk about healthy eating and nitrates, but it's so many factors. Yeah. Because we all know someone who eats everything or smokes everything and they're perfectly healthy. Yeah, I mean, and look then, at these athletes. I yeah. mean, they live such a healthy lifestyle and yep. exercise and everything else. Yep. And again, like, cancer has no prejudice. So. I mean, and, and this is just a few. We got Mario Lemieux. We got James Conner. Mm -hmm. Brian Boyle. Eddie Olchek. I mean, these are just a few. I mean, Lance Armstrong. Amongst other hundreds of hundreds. Uh, thousands of athletes. Yeah, and, and, uh, and well-known athletes. And then you'll talk about a lot of athletes. Or, you know, in a sense, we're all athletes in this world. We're all struggling with something, right? right? So. And these are super athletes because they're on the media and the news. 
And so it's, it's just to make it easier, like why don't we start with Mario Lemieux? Let's use, let's talk about him, what he went through and, and get into the treatment. Um, because how did this guy from December 92 diagnosis on or about and then come back in a year and a half later it was the night that he had his last radiation treatment he came back and played how did he I, do I that he scored too and yes and he right. got points and an assist <laughs> how did he do that well, you know, I think the common thread that we see with most athletes is that they're constantly challenged, right? Their lives are always about being challenged to get to that next level. And I think that path to, uh, of resilience and has led to their greatness. And I think that's a consistent theme, as you see with all these individuals that we just spoke with amongst others as well. And I think when you look at them going through cancer treatments, I think similar in a similar vein, they almost uh, follow that same pathway, you know, in terms of being pressured and just having that mindset of just, you know, pushing through the pain, pushing, uh, getting to that next step, that next goal. You know, my son plays for uh, MIDI basketball and his coaches always talk to them about, okay, next play, next play. And I think I keep that in mind when I think about talking about these uh, athletes. It's just, they're sort of just, you know, moving forward. and. You look at James Conner and his ability to work out while he's going through chemotherapy. I mean, that's Incredible. just Incredible. tremendous. Just it just shows such such a strength, and I think that's really what's um, I think what's really drives these athletes is that you know they're just used to being under the pressure and, and working through that and just taking whatever cards they're dealt with and and making the best with it and just uh, keeping their mind on the on the prize. Sure. Like I like to think about uh, just exactly how you're saying it. I love this and I'm going to just interrupt you for a moment because for me, I've always thought of it as tenacity and grit. Because aside from the cancer diagnosis, I mean, there, there's actually a book called Grit. It's a great book. It's worth reading. I'm not promoting it in any manner, but it's worth reading. But tenacity and grit. These athletes have that. So you're talking about not just someone who's physically above average. You're talking someone who's mentally tough tough above average that they've had to come from up the lower ranks from a kid all the way up to superstardom so in order to do that they're physically and mentally tough and then you throw them the toughest disease known to man yeah. so if anyone's gonna survive and they're young right youth yeah. has an advantage yeah definitely I mean in general the cancers we talk about say lymphoma or testicular cancer say with Lawrence, Lance Armstrong and others you know those diseases tend to have um, what we call a bimodal distribution. They tend to uh, develop earlier in ages, like the 20s and 30s, and then there's a second sort of peak in the later age. And we know that age in and of itself is a better prognostic, or better uh, factor for patients who are diagnosed with cancer. The younger they are, the more resilient they are, the more they're able to withstand a lot of the stressors that chemotherapy uh, has to your body. I mean, unfortunately, in the job that I do, at times we have to provide them, we almost have to make them sicker in order to get better and just to be able to have the, you know, as being a young person and again, with the same sort of mindset that these athletes have, allows them to really succeed in, mm -hmm. in these circumstances. So, um, it's, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. You know, interestingly, you know, I, um, I always think to myself that um, adrenaline is an actual natural analgesic. So yeah. it actually makes pain less by having so much adrenaline. And I think to myself, well, I'm not an athlete, but many of these athletes are always have constant adrenaline going that, you know, they kind of numb out a lot of that sort of 
pain. Mm. And that I don't know sense. if that's somewhat very similar as going through the process, going through chemotherapy with the nausea and the fatigue and, and all the different side effects that the, the therapy does pr uh, give them. So Yeah, so let's talk about some of this therapy. So there's radiation, which is essentially really bad x-rays, like yeah. high dose, and then there's drugs. I mean, these are some of the toughest drugs that we can make, uh, that, that, that kill cells. Yeah. So tell me about, uh, well, Mario Lemieux, he had radiation treatment and, and, chemo, and chemo. So let's start mm. with radiation or tell me about radiation and chemo. Yeah, um, you know, I think, uh, so first off, when um, you, cancer cells are constantly dividing. And so what you want to do is you want to give therapies that inhibit the division process, that, that dividing process. And chemotherapy, radiation are ways to inhibit the division process. Radiation basically damages the DNA of the cell and it stops the DNA from replicating and thus the cancer cell stops dividing. And it also somewhat of a kind of burns the cell, right? In that mm -hmm. sense, because it is radiation. Chemotherapy is a chemical and it's a chemical that goes in the blood system and it goes wherever the cancer cells are as well as where um, the cancers that we, well, that we that they are that we see like on a scan or on lab work for instance and also goes to cancer cells that we don't see as you know a lot of times there are microscopic cells in the body that harbor the cancer cells that we're not able to see but what's nice about chemotherapy it goes what we call systemically it goes in the blood system goes everywhere and what it does depending on what type of chemotherapy it does it sort of follows the same treatment uh, plan, which is to inhibit the division uh, process of the, the cell, the cancer cell itself, and stop that division process. Now, unfortunately, there are normal cells in the body that are constantly dividing, you know, things like your hair follicles, or the uh, white blood cells that fight infections, your red blood cells that provide uh, oxygen and nutrients to the rest of your body. So that's why people lose their hair. That's correct. The lining of your gut, for instance. So that all, and that's what causes nausea for patients sometimes, and the fatigue that comes with all of that. So you know, those are all bystanders of normal cell processes that are inhibited by this treatment with and, and the fatigue is from aside from many factors but from the uh, blood cells too right mm -hmm. they're dividing so you get less oxygenation less movement of healthy red blood cells and so yeah. you get fatigue as well so yeah. and this is just fatigue nausea yeah. and hair uh, loss hair and nausea fatigue uh, risk for infections risk right. for uh, anemias risk for bleeding disorders there are certain side effects specific to chemotherapy, like neuropathy, numbness, mm -hmm. tingling, in hands and feet, which you're very familiar with, right. with orthopedics and all. Um, um, yeah. So the list is numerous for what it can function, do. Heart function, disorders, right. liver abnormalities. Right. I mean, there's just a whole host. Diarrhea right. uh, can also be that. But like I said, you know, these athletes find ways to persevere. It's Amazing. Yeah. Well, so if we were to look at a drug, one of these chemotherapy drugs, we would see probably yeah. pages and pages of side effects. Yeah. But I mean, you look at cancer, yeah. and cancer causes death. Yeah. That's the. And sentiment. drugs cause side effects. Yeah. To counter death. Yeah. You know, so you always have to balance that benefit risk. Yeah. And right now, as far as we know, these chemotherapeutic radiation treatments on the benefit-risk scale, if you talk about the risk of death versus the benefit, the benefit, even with the side effects, is still higher than the risks associated with them. Is that correct? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, that's a challenge for me as an oncologist every day is deciding where that risk-benefit ratio is, providing that to the patient. And then 
quite frankly, it's really their choice. I mean, we're not in their shoes. They have to be, have the wherewithal to be able to withstand the treatments, but they also have to understand what they want to endure and what they're willing to endure. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, there are different factors that go into um, recommending a certain therapy to the patients. There's uh, specifically for us as oncologists, we look at something called a performance status, how functional they are, how symptomatic they are from the disease, what other end organ or other comorbidities that they have that um, may limit our ability to provide you know, adequate amount of treatments in order to decide whether or not the treatment is um, feasible or reasonable and then kind of guiding them about what we think is best for them. You know? But certainly a lot of these young athletes are very healthy, really no other medical problems obviously, and so uh, it's, it's very hard to not want to offer the most aggressive therapies, right. but even for athletes, it, you know, for anybody, it's, it's, it's tough. It's tough. Yeah. And so, but fortunately for testicular and, the, and certain types of lymphomas, like not, um, Hodgkin's lymphomas, like mm -hmm. that affected many of these athletes, their prognosis is very good, um, even if they had advanced disease, even uh, with the aggressive therapies that we're, we have out there. In addition, now with the newer therapies that are being developed for cancer treatments, so, you know, I did my training at Stanford, and, you know, um, amongst all the different cancers, you know, Hodgkin's and non-Hodgkin's lymphomas was probably pioneers of Hodgkin's therapy and the newer therapies are really developed here at, um, at uh, Stanford University that, um, you know, there's a whole realm of targeted and immunotherapy uh, trials that are out there that allow less toxicities for the patient, but maybe even better outcomes for these patients than standard chemotherapies. So we don't always have to say patients have to suffer right. in order to get better. Right. That I think we're hoping moving into a new era where the landscape of options are much more bountiful, right. in addition to the fact that the therapies are much more, um, you know, promising and less patient-friendly side yeah, which is a great point, actually, because when it comes down to new drugs, new therapies in the biotechnology uh, regulatory space, we're talking about a patient-centric focus. So it's about the patient-reported outcomes. It's about a, a caregiver-centric approach. So it's a combined decision-making approach. But then when you talk about these drugs, especially through the FDA, through these clinical trials, there's value-based judgments, and these are based on the patient and the physician, as well as the regulatory agencies have to make some type of judgment. Now, for them, they have to remain fairly agnostic because they have to look at what is the data. So they focus on the data, and so a lot, now a lot of companies are presenting patient value-based, physician value-based judgments. Was this a valuable treatment? So having patients go through this, even though it can be difficult and some drugs may not get approved, but they still have some benefit. And for the most part, thankfully, we have some very good therapeutics out there for patients. But they've gone through a process where as physicians, as clinicians who take the Hippocratic Oath to do no harm, in this case, in the grand scheme of things, the value-based judgment for the benefit is still no harm in the grand scheme of those things, right. even though there is some harm to the patient. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like I said, I mean, you sometimes have to make them worse in order to get better. But, yeah. you know, the hopes are that, you know, that the efficacy um, is worth it. Mm -hmm. You know, the outcomes of, you know, having this go away and never come back and, and their overall survivability is worth it. The, the grind, I guess right. you could say, of going through these few months or many months of chemo, radiation, surgery, sure. whatever it may be, you know. And you're right. I mean, uh, medical economics, we can hold to a whole new 
talk about that. I mean, these drugs are extremely expensive. It takes, you know, what, like a billion dollars to get a drug from lab all the way to market, you know, right. and everything, all the costs that come with it all. But, um, you know, I look at it from the science standpoint that there's some really amazing successes in terms of uh, therapeutics out sure. there. So if we look at these therapeutics, and then let's start with Mary Lemieux and Lance Armstrong and uh, James Conner, and, and let's look at it. How do they come back so strong? I mean, they're super athletes, they get beat down, mm -hmm. and then once the cancer is gone, hopefully, yeah. it, they just bounce back. Now, is there a component of drug benefits, steroids that they received? I mean, I mean how did Lance do what he did? Yeah. And, and come back, aside from any other steroids he may have taken. Same with Mario Lemieux. I mean, he came back and he was not using anabolic steroids. Yeah. I mean, these athletes, for the most part, bounce back. How do they do it? Yeah. I mean, um, well, how does, Is any, there... how does anybody do it that like, comes back from, from such a harrowing sort of experience? You know, again, I, I think a lot of it has to do with that self-resilience. You know, mm -hmm. I think... Um, whether you're an athlete or whether you're just a regular Joe, you know, you just kind of find that, that, that fire within you in order to battle, you know, to kind of re, redefine your normal. That's what I usually tell patients. It's kind of, you're never going to be the same person that you were before. You have to kind of redefine your own story, redefine your new normal. And, um, and it takes time to, to find out when that actually happens. So in terms of oncology rehabilitation, I mean, that in and of itself is a very, it's a field I wish we'd had more research in and I think there's more development in because as you can tell that um, especially these athletes who are dependent on getting back to that stature mm -hmm. that they really need um, you know some guidance about what that map looks like you know and and working with the toxicities that have come from their treatments um, and you know it takes time. I tell patients like it takes maybe up to six months to feel maybe 80 or 90 percent of what you felt um, before you started your treatment and it's a matter of going through physical therapy, you know, whether any occupational therapy, um, sometimes speech rehab depending on the circumstances, you know, talking about nutrition, you know, what kind of foods that are really beneficial for you, how much to push your activity level. You know, a lot of patients want to go back and start running their, you know, 5Ks, you know, the day after chemotherapy because that's what they did before. But really telling them to pull back and say, look, you need to start off a little slow and escalate a little bit, uh, day by day, week by week, you know, um, in order to get back to that same level. And quite frankly, just being patient with yourself. And I always tell patients, it's, you have to be, you have to forgive yourself. You can't keep saying that, you know, oh, I'm not getting to this time time point or I'm not getting to this rep count uh, be, at, at this stage, you, you have to forgive yourself. You know, you've been through the worst mm -hmm. thing of your entire life and you should find, realize that going through that and battling that and getting to this point is a triumph in and of itself. And that um, given that you can do that, you can get back to, to that stature that you, you want. But again, it's a lot of it is, it's just perception. and. And the survivorship plan that the oncologist provides in terms of like, you know, follow-up scans and lab work and how many visits that you need um, and any additional treatments after that, that also needs to be the forefront of your rehabilitation as well. So, yeah, it's a, it's a complex sort of thing, case by case, depending on what right. the cancer they had and what kind of treatments they have. But as you can tell, it's... It's doable. Yeah, it's, it's, it's remarkable how these people have come back and 
um, you know, you, you probably have one of the toughest jobs. I mean, telling people they have cancer and then treating it. Can you tell me what some of the toughest, what's your toughest moment, if you can? I mean, I'm sure you have a lot of tough moments. What's the toughest moment based on a, a scenario you can describe that you've had to deal with? Yeah, with a patient. It, uh, I mean, you know, when I was going through med school, my wife asked, and I told my wife I wanted to be an oncologist. I think she was wondering, why would you want to do something so sad? You know, I don't want you to be sad all the time from it all. And I think my perspective uh, on oncology was a lot different. You know, I, I see it as you're, you as an oncologist have this opportunity to be able to make the worst situation that this person has that this person's going through and make it the best that it can possibly be. And you're probably in a situation where you're really helping them when they most need you, need a physician or need a clinician at the, at the most. And I think, although a majority of my time is talking about sad cases and not everyone survives, a large majority of my time patients are cured of their disease and so I think one of the joys I really receive of being an oncologist is being able to kind of follow these cured patients mm -hmm. or um, people going through in remission and kind of asking them, so half of my time is about their clinical issues and then half the time is, so did you spend more time with your children today? Or how much exercise are you doing? You know, are you still back to that same lifestyle of, you know, the grind? You know, how has your life Kind of changed. How's the lens of your life changed since this diagnosis? It's almost like an awakening, and to be able to partner with patients, being there through that journey, and then now following them in terms of their again their new life and this new horizon that they have of of uh, of their world, um, it's pretty special. You know, really special to be a part of that space. So it is challenging. I mean, every every door that I touch before going into a patient room, I do a reset. I kind of say, okay, whatever happened to the last patient, I can't bring this into this patient because I keep going from bad news to good news to bad news to good news back and forth throughout the day. Every situation, I'm in their sacred space and this is, this is their journey and let's, let's be present to that. So um, it, it's tough, you know, especially when the young patients don't sure. do very well yeah. or they're having so many toxicities, I kind of wonder, well, is it worth it, you know? You know and the patient, people are just, just amazing, you know, they just want to keep fighting and keep going mm -hmm. and it's, um, and you want to be there for them, but you also want to make sure that their quality of life is really the best that it can possibly be. So I guess the long answer to that sure. question is really just, you know, I think we're really fortunate to be able to take care of people when they really need you the most. And, um, and again, cancer medicine is just evolving and there's just amazing drugs that are developed out, targeted treatments, immunotherapies, CAR T-cell therapy, which other types of treatments for lymphomas and leukemias that are coming on the horizon, which are allowing people to live longer, but with the best quality of life possible in that time. So. Uh, that makes so much sense. It's so nice to hear that. And it's also nice to hear sort of that human compassion, that element that sometimes gets lost as physicians, uh, you know, the white coat phenomenon where Sometimes patients feel like they're going in and they're just being told, they're just doing lab work, just getting treatments, but I can see that you love what you do, that human compassion, that element. It's, it's hard to place that, and that's so important, especially in the field that you're in, but in any field as physicians, people want to relate to someone. They want to feel like they are loved as 
uh, a holistic individual, like from a medical, social component, because they're suffering. And I think it's great that you brought that up. It's, it's amazing seeing that passion come out in you. And, and you're, you're definitely the half full kind of guy. And I love that. <laughs> yeah. I love that. So yeah, that's I mean. so important. Yeah. And, uh, well, things are similar to what you do too. I mean, you're holistic. You know, an elbow pain is not just an elbow pain. It's all connected somehow. And kind of looking at it from a general, uh, you know, a quality of life perspective, you're trying to maintain, improve their quality of life. I mean, I think anybody that wears a white coat like we do and terms of taking care of people, it's all about, you know, those goals for them, you know. And the cards are dealt the way they are sometimes in life. That's true. Absolutely. You've got to do the best you can with them. And yeah. so we just... I call myself, we're, we're all instruments in a bigger picture of, of things, you know. That's right. So, I use a scalpel, you use a prescription. Yeah. Uh, I'm good with drugs. Yeah, you're good with drugs, <laughs> I'm good with the knife, yeah. Well, this is great. Thank you so yeah, much. you're welcome. Dr. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, no, I appreciate this. I know it's a very this. complex, we could go on and on about all the different yeah. in, individuals and what they went through and their different specific treatments, but I think we got a general sense of kind of cancer treatments from Absolutely. So that was a brilliant uh, discussion with uh, Dr. Khabibi and uh, we have the NHL All-Star coming up. We've got the NFL Pro Bowl. This is all about some of the super athletes that have battled cancer and I just feel like it was my privilege to just have this opportunity to discuss this and share with you that, hey, we're all feeling this. We're all feeling how tough it is for the bones, the joints, the entire human body and psyche to go through some of this mental toughness and resilience. I mean, these are super highly resilient people that have come back and we're gonna get to watch them. And we've watched them from cancer to superstardom, from all stars, from all stars to suffering and back. I mean, this is an opportunity that we can all just take a moment and just reflect on who we are and who these people are and just say thank goodness and bless what we have. So thank you again. I'll see you soon.